Well, good morning. My name's Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, my privilege to bring the message uh, from God this morning, this last day of the year. Whew. This year went quickly. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah, it really just zipped by. You know, the gospel should affect our lives in our daily living. In fact, let me ask this question. How does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ impact your relationships on a day-to-day basis? More specifically, let me ask this. How does the gospel influence the way that you communicate with others when there's a disagreement or a conflict? You know, one man uh, had his wife come to him about a month before their anniversary And she said, you know, I want to give you a suggestion for our anniversary. She said, I would love to have something nice, new, and shiny that goes from zero to 150 in just a few seconds. And and she said, well, that's that's a good hint. And so uh, for their anniversary, he bought her a scale. (laughs) And uh, the argument soon ensued right after that happened. Raise your hand if you happen to have ever had a disagreement in the year 2018. Anybody here? Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How many of you wish that any argument or disagreement or conflict that you had in this past year would have gone differently? Anybody? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that today. So evidently this message will apply to all of us here. So we're, we're going to find out what Paul says about how Christians can manage conflict by communicating more biblically. We're going to look at the guidelines that he gives us from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to take out your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll get there in just a minute. But before we do that, you, you may ask, okay, why, why are we talking about this? What are the benefits of, of talking uh, about communication? How can communication better benefit my life anyway? Well, first of all, uh, improved communication can reduce stress and the amount of conflict in our life. Anybody here like to see that happen? Yeah. Uh, it, it can strengthen our relationships, create harmony. Those misunderstandings can be handled more quickly. Uh, they, they can be corrected. The problems can be clarified. Forgiveness can be extended. And so uh, then the trust is built up and strengthened. And then also we bring God glory and honor by communicating with each other in a more biblical fashion. So those are just some of the main reasons uh, we're in, in chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians this morning, as I mentioned earlier. And, you know, we as Christians, Christ followers, should be thinking, speaking, and acting differently than the world. And, and so that's what he's starting out uh, talking about there in chapter 4. And in fact, he says, everybody should be walking worthy of the calling that we have through Christ Jesus. And so uh, I want to read to you before we actually get to our main text what he says in verses 22 through 24 from the Amplified Version. This actually gives you more of a word-for-word understanding of what Paul is saying here in in the, the original language. It says that regarding your previous way of life, you put off the old self, completely discard the former nature, which is being corrupted through deceitful desires, and be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude. Put on the new self, the regenerated and renewed nature created in God's image, God-like, in the righteousness and the holiness of truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. So what's he saying? What he's really boiling down to is we need to put off that old way of life, the way we were before we became a Christian, before we knew Christ personally, 
And we need to instead put on that new self, that new nature that's being renewed in the spirit of our mind, in the way we think through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. So if you're willing and able, if you would please, if you want to grab one of the Bibles in front of you, it's uh, page number 978. We're going to look at Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Would you please stand as we read together if you're physically able to do that? And here's what he says. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil Let the thief no longer steal, but let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as occasion fits that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Well, as we see here in this main text, we're going to be looking today at four guidelines or four rules for communicating biblically. Four guidelines or rules for, for communicating biblically. Well, the first one is uh, very simple. It's be honest. Be honest. Notice he says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Now, what's that therefore, therefore? It's there to tell us there's something, some transition that's happening. He says, because you've put off this old self, and now you're living through the power of the Holy Spirit in this new self, now here are some of the things specifically I want you to do. And we're going to look at it this morning and see specifically how it it applies to communicating biblically. So he says, first of all, be honest, put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth, and that word for truth there means an unveiled reality, something that's not hidden, it's fully exposed, you can see it. That's why he says, basically, we need to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that doesn't mean it should be only on occasions where we pull out a Bible and we swear to do that. No, it should be all the time, uh, because uh, that word there, speaking, actually means in your everyday conversations with people. We need to be speaking the truth, and, and not just giving part of the truth. Anybody else ever ha- had a conversation like this? Hey, I like your new shoes. Oh, no, no, those aren't new shoes. Oh, well, they kind of look new. Oh, no, 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 I've, I've, I've had these. They, they've been in my closet for all two or three weeks, you know. Maybe I didn't want anybody to know that, but, but they were there for two or three weeks. And so these aren't really new shoes because I've had them there. You know, that, that's just a partial truth, isn't it? Trying to expose itself as a total truth of new shoes when they actually weren't new. We need to be careful that we don't exaggerate. You know, fish stories are fun for telling fish stories. But they're not good when you're trying to communicate with people. We, we have to be careful that we don't embellish or exaggerate or make things worse than they really are or not give the whole picture. And notice he says, we need to say this. He says, put away that falsehood. Speak the truth with your neighbor. That word for neighbor means anybody who's close to you. That means your, your, your parents. That means your kids. That means your spouse. That means your, your neighbor, your coworker. Anybody who's in close proximity to you is your neighbor. And he says, we need to speak the truth to them. And then because we are members of one another, we're members of the body of Christ. So we need to be truthful even with people that that know Christ, our our fellow churchgoers. We need to be totally honest and completely truthful with them. I I remember one time as a a youth pastor, 
we had a special talent night that we wanted to extend to everybody. And we had this one girl, we'll call her Lori. And, uh, and Lori just loved to sing, and she would just put her whole heart into it and, and, and just uh, th- sing with this enthusiasm. And she wanted to, to do a solo that night, and so, uh, you know, we, we allowed that. And it, it was interesting because as she started singing, uh, all of us were there, and we were listening, and, and we were doing our very best not to cringe and not to grimace when, when she was uh, not hitting the notes that she was supposed to be hitting. I mean, it was really tough, and she finished the song, you know, and everybody was nice and polite and clapped and, and things like that, but um, then afterwards, everybody's going around telling everybody who, w- what they did and, and how they liked it, oh, good job, you know, way to go, and, and I noticed they were even telling her some of those things, and I was like, I cannot lie to this girl. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? And, and so I, I was thinking and thinking, and, and finally she comes up, you know, she wants to know, well, what would you think? as a youth pastor, and, and so I looked at her and I said, you know, I really liked the words to that song. That was a great song that you picked to sing. And, and, and she said, oh, okay, thanks. And she went away feeling good. And, and I went away feeling like, ah, I only gave her a partial truth there. Yeah, I, what I told her was the truth, but it wasn't the whole truth. Because what I really wanted to say was, God has not gifted you to sing. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't want to say it that way because when we're speaking the truth, we need to speak the truth how? In verse 15 of that same chapter, it says, speaking the truth in love, in love. And because we loved her, it was interesting how God worked that out just a few weeks later in one of the D groups that we had with, with, with some of her, her fellow students. That, that issue came up and they said, what are we going to do? We love her. We don't want her to end up being embarrassed on American Idol. You know, what, what are we going to do here to help? How, how can we do that? And so we, we came up with, okay, we're going to tell her the, good, the things that she is good at and some things that we've observed in her that she might want to pursue. And we even gave her the name of a voice coach if she wanted to keep pursuing that. But uh, we, we tried to show her that we loved her. But we, it was hard for her to hear initially. But she accepted it well. And then, uh, you know, she, she made some, some changes and did some things differently. And, and I, was, I was really proud of, of that group because they, they felt like we can't just let her keep thinking that she's a singer when God hasn't gifted her with that. So we as Christians need to be honest. We need to speak the truth and the whole truth, uh, especially even in, in tough situations where we might be having trouble with uh, communicating with people. Well, then not only should we be honest, uh, the second thing that Paul tells us here in this passage, or four, four, the fourth, one of the other four guidelines that he gives to us, is keep current. Keep current. That's why he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So the first part of this keeping current is we have to check our anger. Check our anger. Is this a righteous anger which has a God focus on God's in interest or, or how we, we want to avoid anything that's evil? Or is this just a sinful anger that's man-focused? It's because I didn't get my own way, and so we attack people rather than the problems. So we have to ask ourselves, that: is this a righteous anger? It's okay to be angry at an injustice that we see or some sin that we know is really going to totally destroy somebody's life. It's okay to be angry at those things. But to be angry just because it didn't work out the way I wanted or because they said something that was, was difficult to hear, those kinds of selfish anger 
are sinful. It is possible to be angry but not sin if it's God-focused and in God and interested in what he's interested in. That's why James said this, My beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When's the last time you heard some guy just get really red and blow up and explode all over the people around him and say, wow, that was really neat to see God honored that way? It doesn't happen, does it? That's a selfish anger. You ever heard somebody say, you make me angry? You make me angry. I had somebody say that to me one time uh, here in the last couple years, and I said, no. I don't make you angry. I may frustrate you. The words I say you may not like. But when you become angry, it's because you choose to become angry. I can't make you do anything. It's what you choose to do. Because you see, anger is just an emotional response. An emotional response. And as he mentioned there, he says, give no opportunity to the devil. And that's what anger is. It's an opportunity for the devil to have us say or do or think something that we shouldn't be doing or saying or thinking. That's why uh, the writer of Proverbs in chapter 15 said, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Stirs up anger. You ever heard somebody give somebody a harsh word and then say, Oh, hey, thanks for that. That doesn't happen, does it? That's not our usual response. Usually when you get a harsh word, you want to give one back. That's the natural person. That is not the way Paul is saying we should respond. We should keep current. Keep current because remember, anger leads to hatred. And I heard this at uh, George Bush's uh, funeral here just within the last month. And, and the guy said this, hate corrodes the container in which it's housed. Hate corrodes the container in which it's housed. Uh, Mark Gunger said it this way, it's like me being angry and bitter and then taking the poison and hoping the other person I'm angry at dies. That, that's what hatred and bitterness is. It just eats away at us. It doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts us in our relationship with God and our relationship with that person. So we need to be careful that we check our anger. Is it righteous anger against something that's evil, or is it just anger because we didn't get our way or we didn't like what happened? And the other part of keeping current is where he says there, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I remember um, when I first got engaged, there was a lady at church named Beulah, and she came up to me and she said, hey, congratulations, I want to give you a, a bit of advice that my husband Snake and I have done. Now, his real name was Maurice, but everybody called him Snake. So anyway, she said, we've been married for over 40 years, and you know what we decided when we first got married? We are not going to go to bed angry. If we're upset with each other, we're going to deal with that problem and solve it before we go to bed. And that was good advice. Good advice. Why is that? Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but when you start thinking about something, let's say something happens in the evening, and you lay down and you just start thinking about this stuff, and it starts doing around in your mind. You think about what about this, or maybe why did she mean by that, or what did he mean by that, or why did he do that? And you start stewing about it, and then it starts simmering some more, and it just keeps going and going, and then eventually it gets to a boiling point, doesn't it? And you're either going to explode then or in the morning or you're just going to get up and say, i got to go to work or whatever it is you have to do. And you're not going to deal with the problem. You're just going to be upset. So we need to be cautious about those things. A lot of people handle uh, 
conflict or difficulties this way. You know, they, they have this invisible bag, not a, not a real bag. But, you know, they'll say, oh, did you hear what she said? Right, let's put that in here. We'll store that away for later. And then something else will happen. Oh, look, he didn't do it. This is the third time I asked him. Let's put that in there. And then all this stuff keeps happening, and, and they, they just throw these things in there and store it up. And then along comes some disagreement, some argument, some little thing. And all of a sudden, boom, out comes the bag, and everything is emptied all at once. It could be something, didn't know that was in there. It could be something, <laughs> it could be something that happened three months ago. It could be something that happened three years ago that you thought was forgiven. But all that garbage, because it's being held in instead of being kept current and dealt with when it comes up, becomes a big issue. A big issue when it really shouldn't be. You know, um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul also said, love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't accumulate these things so I can beat somebody up over with it later. We need to put off those old ways, Paul says, and put on the new ones. That's why he says that he says there, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he can have something to share with anyone in need. When is a thief no longer a thief? Is it because he stopped stealing? No, he's just a, an unworking thief. Okay? He only becomes a thief is no longer a thief when he starts working. And earning those things so that then he has something that he has earned or worked for to share with somebody else. That's why Paul says you can't just put off that stuff. That's a good start. But after you put all that stuff off, that anger, those, those words you shouldn't be saying, and then you put on something. And that is, through God's help, you put on the good things. Like working instead of thieving, stealing. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all Offenses, the writer of Proverbs says. Now, how do I decide what I should bring up or what I should let go? You ever thought about that? Is this something I should really talk to that person about or should I just let it slide this time? How, how do I do that? You know, she doesn't pull the car in the garage just right. Um, he gets too distracted when he's driving. Maybe she's too soft on the kids. What, what, what am I going to do about this? Well, there are six questions to ask before bringing up a sticky problem. Here they are very quickly. Um, and in fact, if you want to copy this stuff, you can grab one on the way out on the counter before we go. Um, do I have the facts right? Sometimes you need to say, what, what, what really happened? Give me a, a true picture of the story. Because you may not know all the details. So it's okay. In fact, it's good to ask questions to know the facts. And then should love hide it? First Peter 4, 8 says, love covers over a multitude of not just goofs, not just mistakes, but sins. Love covers that. Not just God's love, but our love. And, and that's why we ask ourselves, is it a sin or is it just a preference? I know there are people who really wish that God would have said to squeeze that toothpaste tube from the middle, that is a terrible sin. <laughs> but it isn't a sin. It's a preference. There's a difference between a sin and a preference. Now, how do we decide what it is? Well, right here, God tells us in his word. He's pretty clear about what sin is. There aren't too many things that are ambiguous. He lets us know what's right and what's wrong. He helps us out. Is my timing right? We need to be sensitive to others. Perhaps the kids are around and in the way, or, and, and we, we have to say, okay, i tell you what, let, let's get them to bed, and then let's discuss this. 
Or, or it may be that just something else is going on and maybe they're really, really tired or they're sick. And you may say, okay, we're going to talk about this at this time. But is my timing right? Is my attitude right? Why am I bringing this up? Do I just want to bring it up because I want to point out to him or her where they're really screwing up in life? Or do I want to help them? And do I want our relationship to grow and be closer and be better? Are my words loving, solution-oriented, and constructive? Will they build others up and be helpful? And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my wife hates it when I honk the horn when I'm driving. It's a, it just bugs her. And around our house, we have a roundabout that's been built here. It's not been around too long. And, you know, there are still a lot of people who don't understand roundabouts. Have you noticed that? And uh, it's funny because sometimes, and I really do try not to honk my horn in anger. I try to honk it more as being constructive and helpful. So, <laughs> so, since there's not a policeman around to let them know that what they've done is wrong, that, that's my goal usually. Now, there are times where, you know, this, this person will be barreling through and they're supposed to yield to me on the left, and they don't, and they just keep going, and I'm like, oh, Lord, please protect people from that person. And, and then there are other times where, I mean, they're, they're almost hitting me, and so I, I just lay on the horn. Now, I don't keep laying on it. I don't honk it 40 times. You know, I just, just one nice, long burst. <laughs> So, so that I know they've heard it and they understand, okay? And, and you know, that, but is that loving? Is, is it something constructive? Well, hopefully it just means you, you really need to pay attention because I know people have done that to me when I've made a mistake and I've, I've pulled out or done something, oh, I didn't see that person. And they'll honk at me and I'm like, okay, I'm glad they did. And then have I asked God for help? A lot of times, this may be listed last, it's probably the first thing. We should say, okay, God, do I let this go or do I do something about it? What do you want me to do? So we need to be honest. We need to keep current. And then thirdly, we need to attack the problem and not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. That's why he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for the building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word for let no corrupting talk, that word actually means rotting or polluted. You ever know anybody who, who talks that way? I've known a few guys that, that after they, they're done talking, I'm like, they need to expand that vocabulary because those words are not good words. They're rotten, they're putrid, and they don't help. They don't help. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building up as fits the occasion. I remember when I was in high school, <laughs> I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Butler. And I had her, had her for Algebra 1, Algebra 2, uh, analytic geometry, and I was taking calculus at the time, getting ready to take trig the next year with her. And, uh, but she, uh, she was a really good teacher, and we enjoyed the classes. A whole bunch of us had been through all those together. And I just remember one day she looked at me and said, uh, Mr. Groves, would you stop being a dunderhead? Like, okay. And then just a few days later, she, she something else was going on. She was explaining something. She said, Keith, you're a dunderhead. Stop it. And then finally it was Friday and I thought, I better look up that word because I don't know what that means. <laughs> and so, so, so I got at the dictionary, looked it up and, and it said, doll of hearing, numbskull, thick headed. I thought, wait a minute. I'm getting A's in her class. How, how's she saying that? But evidently she didn't like the fact that she had to re-explain a few things for me. And, and you know, those words hurt. They did, and I just chalked it up the fact that she was pregnant at the time. Uh, 
because she never did that any other years. It was just that one year. Um, and it's interesting because you've all heard this statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words what? Will never hurt me? That's a lie. That's a big lie. It may be something good as a kid to try to soothe things over, but it's a lie. Words do hurt. Words do hurt, and we have to watch that. That's why the writer of Proverbs in chapter 20 said, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Now, what's the typical way that a conflict happens? Uh, we have a, a diagram that we'll show you here. The typical uh, situation is you have this problem that people are just ignoring, and they're just attacking each other trying to place blame, and, and all they're doing is going at one another. When in fact, the biblical way to handle conflict is to concentrate on the problem. And notice, they're attacking that problem, not each other. The guy runs an idea past the lady as far as what we can do as far as a solution, and she runs one by him as a possible solution. That's the biblical way to deal with conflict rather than attacking one another, where you clarify the issue or the problem because you want to solve that problem, not just vent over, over each other or to each other even. Uh, have you noticed, anybody watched TV and seen anything on politics in the last three months? Have you noticed these guys don't deal with dif difficulties and, and challenges and, and disagreements in a biblical manner, do they? No. They resort to name calling, calling each other names. And both sides are terrible about this. That is not the way to handle problems in God's sight, to bring him glory and to really resolve those conflicts. You see, the key is we cannot focus on the person, but on the unbiblical thinking, words, and actions. Focus on the unbiblical thinking, words, and actions, not on that person. Now, some people may say, wait a minute, that person is the problem. <laughs> no, it's what they're thinking or saying or doing. It's not them even though it may appear that way. So he says, remember, those words should be building up as fits the occasion that it may bring grace to those who hear. Bring grace to those who hear. And notice, who determines whether what's said is productive and, 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 and proper? It's not the one saying it, is it? It's the hearer. So sometimes we have to go back and refocus and say, all right, did... Uh, what, what did you get out of this? What, what's our next step? What do you think we're going to do from here? To refocus and make sure that they heard correctly. Because sometimes you can say something, mean one thing, and, and it's interpreted as something else. But we need to make those corrections. Clarify the problem. So that everybody, if you're dealing with things, if we are dealing with things in a, in a biblical way, everybody can win in that situation. And we walk away with that relationship being stronger and better instead of having that, that constant conflict and, and, and argument being there. So be honest. Keep current. Attack the problem, not the person. And then finally, the fourth point is respond biblically. When I say biblically, I'm talking about appropriately. As a Christian should respond. Somebody who's put off that old self, somebody who's living under the direction of the Holy Spirit of God, how can I respond in the proper way, in the biblical way, in a way that brings God honor? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
So we act, we don't react. As a Christian, we respond the way the Spirit of God directs us to, not the way our, our old human nature would direct us to. We don't get defensive. We don't respond to them as they respond to us if we're handling this in a biblical proper way. So he says we need to put away some of this bad stuff. And notice what he mentioned there. He said bitterness. That's a fixed attitude of hardness. Fixed attitude of hardness. Wrath. Outbursts of anger or violent motions. Violent motions. We have to stop those. Uh, anybody ever notice when you're driving a car, sometimes people give you violent motions? Yeah. And we should not return those violent motions. In fact, a lot of guys, when they give me that violent motion, I look at them, smile, and wave. Sometimes they uh, respond to that too, but uh, not always. But that, as a Christian, we need to respond differently. That, the word for anger, he means a slow burning grief. It's like a smoldering hurt. I didn't get my way. It didn't go the way I think the things didn't go the way I thought they should have. And so I'm just smoldering and seething underneath here because of this. Slow burning. Clamor is verbal abuse or yelling. Verbal abuse or yelling. I remember last summer I stepped out back and I heard one of the neighbors, uh, I assume it was grandkids, and boy, the grandkids were getting a yelling at and they were hearing words that they should never hear. And I just prayed for the family because it was tough to hear. Verbal abuse and yelling should not be what we do. Slander is name-calling or belittling. Name-calling or belittling. We have to be cautious that we don't do that. And then malice is wickedness to do harm. Some people actually say, I will get that person. And they plan to do them harm. That's why it should never become a physical thing. A disagreement handed biblically will never come to blows. See, there are a lot of sinful ways that we sometimes communicate. We cuss at people. We call them names. We interrupt them. We roll our eyes, and yes, there's a Bible verse that talks about that. Uh, we don't talk to them. We ignore them, or we pout. Sometimes we cross our arms with, oh, I'm just not going to listen to this person. Or the arms crossed may mean, hey, I'm better than you, so you go ahead and talk, and then I'll just do what I want to do afterwards. See, body language, tone of voice, all those things play into what's going on and what's happening. We need to be careful that we don't ignore people, that we don't use, you know, sarcasm is easy to use, but it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial. We, we should be cautious, too, that we don't use words like always or never. Well, you always do this. Or, you know, I've asked you and asked you, and you never do this. You see, nobody never always does something. Did you follow me on that? Nobody never always does something. It doesn't happen. We need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, not just following our old sinful nature and getting back at people because they do things. So not only should we just put these things off, Paul says we got to put these things on. That's why he says to them, be kind to one another. That word for kindness means to furnish what's needed and to be courteous. Then he says tender-hearted. If you would say that word with me, if you would please. Tender-hearted. Let's say it again. Tender-hearted. You know, nobody says tender-hearted. It just doesn't sound right, does it? But it's tender-hearted. The word sounds like the way we should live. We should be tender-hearted with one another and compassionate toward each other. Forgiving, and that word for forgiveness actually means to give grace. 
give grace by showing favor or pardon. And that's why whenever we have a conflict or disagreement with somebody, don't start out by using the words you, okay? Because that's accusing them. Instead, we should be using words like, well, I think that here's what's going on and here's what I think we might be able to do to help solve this. Or I'm feeling like we have this situation we need to resolve. You see how it's what I'm thinking and I'm feeling? It's not pointing at the other person. It's, it's telling you what I'm feeling and thinking so that we can then deal with that. The writer of Proverbs chapter 17 says, whoever restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Remember, we're supposed to be seeking God's glory, not just winning an argument. It's all about bringing God glory, not just winning our side and showing them that we're right and they're wrong. Now what happens if there's an unbiblical response, you're trying to deal with this in a biblical way and people respond in an unbiblical manner. <laughs> All you can do is control you. You can't control the other person. There have actually been times where I'll be uh, trying to help someone in, in dealing with an issue and, and so they just uh, explode, start using language they shouldn't be using. And there are times where I'll say, okay, I'll tell you what, let's quit here and we'll come back and we'll talk with the, about this and deal with this when, when you can deal with it in a productive manner. And do it that way. We can only control ourselves. We can't control others. And all of our responses should be biblically aligned. We should do what God is pleased by. And then notice he says we need to forgive as God has forgiven us. Every one of our wrongs Jesus forgives, those are the wrongs that we should forgive of other people. Sometimes it's hard. But we need to do that. Especially if we want to resolve that conflict and have that relationship be strengthened or restored. So we need to be honest. We need to keep current, attack the problem, not the person, and respond biblically. Now, if you want to learn more about this thing, we, we, we actually have a whole class in biblical counseling training that starts again on Wednesday nights in February where we do a whole, whole hour and a half on just biblical communication, more detail than what we've done. Uh, but I do have a, a sheet that's available. Uh, on one side, it's, it's a lot of what we've gone over this morning, or just the key points. Um, and then on the back, it's, it's mainly for couples on quality communication guidelines for couples. So you're welcome to grab one of those on your way out if you'd like to, uh, to have that. But, you know, let's look at these, uh, these four guidelines or these four rules that we've talked about this morning. Which one do you especially need God's help with to do better? Which one of these four? Do you need to be more truthful in what you're saying? Be honest, completely honest? Um, or, or maybe you need to check your anger and not, not allow your anger to control you and, and be careful that you're keeping current by dealing with things when they come up, not waiting months and months and months and then throwing everything together? Do you need to learn to attack the problem rather than the person? Or do you need God's help to respond biblically instead of yelling and screaming and, and throwing uh, things around the room? Do you need God's help to instead be tender and kind-hearted and compassionate? Think about that, if you would, please, for just a moment. Which one of those do you need to ask God to help you with most? I, at the end of the last service, one lady said, what if I need help with all four? <laughs> I said, well, then you're, you're probably human. Because I stand before you not as somebody who's mastered this myself. I'm not the ultimate communicator. I would love to be. 
I'm striving to be like Jesus. And, and that's why these things are helpful to me to remember. Whenever, whether I'm in a situation with one of my kids or, or with my wife or, or with a neighbor or in a counseling situation, I try to remember these four points so that I am responding in a biblical manner to try to help make this better instead of making it worse. So which one do you need God's help most with? Talk to him about that if you would. Ask him for help. Because a lot of us here are Christians and we have already uh, had our sins dealt with. Jesus, you know, made it possible for us to be forgiven. All of our sins, past, present, or future, have been dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And there should be no such thing as a mean spirit or a hard-hearted Christian, should there be? Woody used to say it this way, none of us were baptized into pickle juice. So which of those four guidelines do you need help with most? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who you need to leave this place because God has worked on your heart and you realize that over the holiday break, you said something to somebody that you shouldn't have or you did something you shouldn't have. You need to go and ask them to forgive you. Maybe there's somebody here who you need to give forgiveness to. Instead of holding on to that and letting it eat away at you, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to punish them by not forgiving them. No, you're punishing yourself and your relationship with God. Go and forgive them and let them know, hey, you asked me to forgive you, I do. I do forgive you. There are some here who aren't yet Christians yet. And you know, Jesus makes it possible for us to have forgiveness. It's, he extends it to us all the time. Any sin that we have committed, doesn't matter how terrible, Jesus says, I will forgive it. I took care of it on the cross. It's done. It's dealt with. But what we have to do is respond to him when he draws us to himself. We need to place our faith in Jesus Christ as the, the son of God, the one who died for us and rose again, who's alive today. We need to turn away from our sin, from maybe some of those thoughts that we've had that we shouldn't have, some of those things that we've said that we shouldn't have said, and some of those things that we certainly shouldn't have done that we did. And then trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior so that we experience his forgiveness so then we can give that ultimate forgiveness to other people as well. Paul said to the Colossian Christians, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Remember the Holy Spirit is that seal of that redemption that he gives to us because we can't do this on our own. We need God's help. It's not always easy to deal with conflict or arguments. But I want to encourage you, yield to your life to Jesus. He gives us complete forgiveness, then we can give that forgiveness to others. And so my encouragement this morning is, please, be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person, and respond biblically, whether it's just a small disagreement or whether it's a big, big conflict. Let God help you. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much that you have made it possible for us to be forgiven. Lord, uh, we know that we've all failed you. We've all done, said, and thought wrong things. And, and we are sorry. We, we ask that you would continue to, to uh, cleanse us and wash us from that. We thank you that you've made that possible through Jesus. That, Father, those of us who are Christ followers stand before you now perfect and holy, not because of who we are what we've done, but because of Jesus and what he's done. And Lord, there may be some folks here who don't yet know Jesus. May they listen to you and yield themselves to you. 
Father, help all of us to be biblical in our communication and to love you. May, may 2019 be a, a great year, Father, for us dealing with each other in a loving, compassionate manner. Thank you for your tenderheartedness toward us. May we give that to others. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Amen.